Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am here today with Lola Robbins. She is an ex-evangelical occult survivor, and she advocates for bi-positivity, LGBTQ rights, women's, women's oppression, especially in the church, and she is here to tell her story. How are you today? I'm doing super. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Of course. Thank you for coming on. I know we talked a couple of weeks ago and we had so much fun relating to different things. And I was like, yes, like, please come on my podcast. (laughs) Um, But I know as we dig into the interview, like, tell me about your childhood regarding religion, like what denomination you were in, describe the cult that you lived in and the beliefs and how that affected you in different ways. Yes. Um, So I was a part of the Church of Christ cult, which is fundamental Christianity type cult. Um, I did not know this was a cult until I deconstructed. I I mean, that's probably a pretty similar thing for people that grow up in that type of environment. It's normal. So, you know, you don't think anything of it until you look back and you're like, wow, that was really fucked up. How how did that happen? Yes. Yeah. So, um, but overall, I mean, my childhood was fine. I mean, I had abusive parents, but it was normal to me. Oh, no, that's so sad. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. Thank you. Um, So my parents, well, really my mother, her family grew up in the Church of Christ. So it was all that she's ever known, all that me and my sister have ever known, because we were so heavily drenched in that culture so um yeah we participated in pretty much everything with the church that we could so um they do a lot of like conferences with just church of christ churches like competitions where they have children like compete in like debates or um practice little sermons at acting like they're going to be preachers one day or song leaders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but it was, like, was that regionals, the master club stuff, or was it something else? I can't remember if you talked about this. Um, so they had the conferences that I know of is like one's called SEC and it has nothing to do with football. Um, uh. like, I think it was called Southern Evangelical Conference or something oh okay yeah um i don't know it's not these things are not very well known unless you're like near the church of christ uh-huh uh, yeah atmosphere um one was called lads to leaders and leaderettes um 
which was just for the kids, like competitions. The SEC was more like um, lots of different well-known mm-hmm. speakers would come together and like you would all come and, and listen to them and, and mm-hmm. revere their words. So yeah. Um, so we had a lot of those. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. What were we saying? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. We were talking about your childhood, your own religion, and you were digging into the different competitions yes. um, that they would do. And it's interesting because I had a similar thing. We had master club in my church okay. and it was like yeah. boy scouts but church um That's so weird <laughs> yeah and you, like you would get your you had your little booklet where you could earn your badges for different spiritual or biblical things you had a vest you would put the badges on every time you got one and so you yes. literally had like physical like achievements from it mm-hmm. that's yes i think i, I got every does that count <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know I, I think i got like every badge in the book Oh no, my god. Yeah, probably. You know, Just at the um Lads to Leaders Leaderettes conference that we were a part of, um, there's like the highest award you can achieve is called the Jonathan Borland Award. And it's just like, oh, you were the most selfless, you did the most good, like Christian yeah. things of that nature. And I won that when I was 12, I think, 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And it was like I just remember that being such a huge deal, like for my parents and for me, I was like, wow, I'm the realest Christian now. I'm the best. Like, yeah, you're like, I'm the shit. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I I am the shit. And (laughs) now here's my ticket to heaven. I'm good. Like I'm in, it's fine. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's how me and my sister grew up. Um, we, I mean, I didn't see anything wrong with it at the time because like I said, it was very like normalized um, being born and bred in the environment. It's just, it seems like, isn't this how everyone grows up? But there was a lot of um, like grooming involved, mm, yeah. of, like pedophilia and like disgusting, like things about your virtue, mm, um, your culture. Yeah things like that, that really damaged us as young Mm -hmm. girls. So that sucks. But um, yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty much how we grew up. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started to kind of, we weren't allowed to ask questions. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. And everything is very certain. I mean, that's kind of the cult mindset. One person is the leader, Mm -hmm. which like our uh, we didn't call him the pastor or anything. We just said preacher or brother, whoever. Um, and they would be the person that we thought was translating pretty much from the mouth of God is is how they were viewed, um, how they're still viewed, really. So, I mean, you could still read scripture and everything and um, kind of define it in your own way. But at the end of the day, it still came down to you read it pretty black and white take scripture as the final authority for everything and uh you rely on your preacher for mm-hmm. um counseling and guidance and um uh, condemnation <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah the whole shit show so oh uh, yeah um, 
yeah, uh, our identities were very much carved into the mold of perfect little Church of Christ girls. Mm. And um, yeah. <laughs> and like, what are the specific doctrines and teachings of the Church of Christ? How does it differ from other denominations or churches? Yes. Um, so the church of Christ is very well known for thinking that they are the only ones going to heaven. Uh, we love that. Uh, um, we like didn't use instruments. We thought that was against, uh, like God's law for some reason. So we only had acapella singing for worship. Um, women could not lead in any shape, form or fashion. You could teach like children. Mm-hmm children's ministry but once you were at the age of accountability you can no longer like lead in front of boys kind of thing Mm -hmm. so um very misogynist in their Mm -hmm. view of how your spiritual path should be so um what else do we do (laughs) we have to take communion every sunday oh Um, i hated communion growing up really i like I would always have to go to church early. That's why I hate oh, it. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> um, I just liked it because we got grape juice. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, I communion actually, it, as often as we did it, I never really understood. Like I understand now why it, it was a thing and why we did mm-hmm. it so often and why it was supposed to be important. But it actually was very like... Um, I was so desensitized to it at a certain point. I was like, eh, it's just communion. Eh. Like it, it didn't seem like such a big deal that it was supposed to be where you're, mm-hmm. you're really meditating on, you know, the God's precepts and, and the crucifixion and what it means for you. It didn't mean that to me there at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it just so desensitized from doing it every single week. Mm-hmm. So, um, you were expected to dress a certain way. Uh, very like, I know people dress up in their Sunday best and that was very much required to be an attendee for Church of Christ things. Um, how you look is very important. And um, we never really had anyone there that wasn't white, which mm-hmm. that sounds so horrible and it is so horrible. Like. I had no idea how to deal with anyone else that was not white mm-hmm. because yeah. like I pretty much I grew up racist and I didn't even mm-hmm. realize it. Yeah. Like I hope I don't offend anyone by saying that because I do not feel the same way anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah. We were definitely raised to be like, if they're different, they're bad. So mm-hmm. even by the way that their skin color was. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, Lots of, of those things. Um, you were expected to vote a certain way also. Um, oh, yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, separation of church and state. It doesn't mean shit. No, it does not. not <laughs> and I'm not super familiar with like other cults and how they work. But besides like the Manson <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I mean, it was very much a lose your identity and mm. become the one unit, the one body yeah. of for the one goal. And there is a war happening 
and we must there's there has to be a sense of urgency to recruit people and to put your money into this system kind of thing so yeah um but the church of christ is unlike a lot of other mm -hmm. like baptist and yeah. uh, catholic and everything like that just because they're they're very conservative some of them we were more liberal so like some of them wouldn't eat in the church building and that was mm -hmm. conservative and we did so we were very liberal and we didn't wear head coverings wow. um uh, so like there's some verse in the bible that says like uh, a woman like her hair is her glory or something like that um or her head should be covered something like that um Paul wrote it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Uh, you piece of shit. No. Anyway, um, <laughs> I have a, I have a bone to pick with Paul. Like, oh, I think a lot of us do. Have you got a bone to pick? <laughs> <sighs> I mean, and I want to think the best of the guy. Like, he probably didn't know that we were going to take everything so close to the chest, you know, with his writings, mm -hmm. but. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, he was a very sexually repressed, disturbed individual. I'll say. I'll <laughs> say. He needed to get some. Um, he needed to get laid. <laughs> really it's okay. And masturbation is also okay, Paul. Feel free. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure he knows that now wherever he is in the universe. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, <so> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the thinking of Paul I'm just surprised like he never like cut off his balls like there are some people sadly yes. who go to that extreme I'm surprised that there's not in scripture that I cut off my whatever some weird scripture reference for us yeah like, castration was yeah <laughs> was vital for my re repentance and salvation <laughs> oh wow Something like that yeah probably like ugh. but um but yeah I mean I definitely relate to a lot of what you're saying about your church because it sounds like in some aspects though your church was even uh, like more conservative than mine which is crazy to me because mine was crazy conservative but I guess the only difference is, is that my church we had an organ and a piano and that was it oh, for instruments and, like, any, and anything outside of that was evil or wrong so they drew the line at piano and organ that's where they wow were. that's interesting because <laughs> stringed instruments were some of the first instruments ever created um mm -hmm. To be, I mean, besides like percussion type things, yeah, mm -hmm. strings were one of the first to be made. So that's interesting that they wouldn't. Um, well, I guess piano technically is string. I don't know. I'm not a yeah. musician anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and it's interesting though because another difference is that you know a Baptist church in the South, like we fucking love to eat. Like, come on, they always have potlucks. They have their own. I guess. Baptist churches always have their own fellowship halls just for eating apart from the church usually where mm -hmm. they do that and obviously like eating in the auditorium is like a no-no I feel like for any church anyways um but I think also things that were similar is that you know women in the church were also they're not we're not allowed to have leadership roles except obviously for teaching children um they weren't allowed to be a deacon um I'm trying to think what else is similar an elder Oh, yeah, or an elder. Yeah. And like women had to wear dresses. Like they were very strict about what they wore. Uh, there was so much shame around women wearing pants. So, of course, they all felt obligated to wear skirts. And like it's interesting. Like we never had the head covering thing in my church. I've heard of, I, actually, I've been to a church that was like that when I was visiting some. So I was like, 
but um I'm trying to remember. oh yeah and like there was a ton of white people at my church also <laughs> yes see I thought with um it was Baptist church that you were with right the an independent fundamental Baptist yeah yeah okay IFB so mm-hmm. um I thought that they were more like inclusive with other races for some reason. I mean I mean, I guess they are, but it's just, they're not attractive. I know IFB is a little bit different than just the normal, like you walk yeah. into a place that just says the first Baptist church, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's different than that. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason a lot of people of color didn't come to the church was that we weren't geared towards them and we, they, they weren't really our target audience. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing is though, which as I look back on it is really messed up is that, you know, there were people of color but they were segregated <laughs> and what what the fuck and the interesting thing is is that and now i'll explain this more but like we had the 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 um a sunday school which meant auto which means you you drove a car to church and then you had b sunday school which is the bus ministry which means you drive on a bus so usually people who were driven on buses were usually people of color and they were in a different building with a different person on Sunday morning and different people and then the white people were in the auditorium (laughs) with all the other white people and so yeah but they didn't label it as yeah we're segregating y'all but it's just that's just how they did it naturally but um um but you know, my church, they would take like probably like 50 buses out every week to pick up people who want to go to our church. And I think really, though, a big reason to why the separation was they really wanted to focus with the people they took on buses to scare them about hell and getting saved. So that's what they mainly focused on them. And I guess maybe they didn't want to combine the church and them so that, I mean, I honestly think they really dumbed things down for the bus ministry that's honestly yes no yeah because you're it's a different and you want something different from them you just want attendanceship from them you want money from white people that Mm -hmm. in their eyes would be more educated and more like Mm -hmm. wealthy so yeah it's always a desire for something within that demographic for sure Mm -hmm. yeah so they're i think they're definitely like um a lot of like racial assumptions and biases <laughs> with how they would approach sermons and different things. And, you know, looking back on it, I just thought it was interesting and kind of sad, like how, um, you know, how the ASNU school was just white people, really. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was maybe a colored person every once <laughs> and a while thrown in the mix, maybe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> maybe. <Yeah. laughs> Damn. But, um, but I think, like I said, like in that target audience, and as the years went on, my church attendance just went down, 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 down. Last, last, it was just really amazing, honestly. Right. That's <laughs> but, great. Um, <laughs> That's the gospel right there. <laughs> That's what I think. Yes, and so I'm trying to think of other similar things, but yeah, very conservative. My church was KJV only. Was yours like that? Um. So. Um, they preferred if you just followed either King James version or New King James version. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, but they hated like NIV, ESV. Mm-hmm. Oh crap! I've forgotten them all now. I haven't read scripture. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I know I used to love ESV. It was a lot easier for me to understand, like as a teenager when I was reading scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was just like, I could never take that one with me to worship ever. So yeah, there was definitely a right um, version mm-hmm. to for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so kind of dig into, I guess, the negative experiences that you had in the Church of Christ growing up now that affected you. Yes. Um, so it kind of began when a, when I was around 14 is kind of where it all began. We started going to a new, um, church of Christ, um, that had broken off from our previous congregation. Um, so (laughs) this was at a time where I was struggling so much with my body um, I had developed body dysmorphia and I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and I was pretty quiet about it because it was embarrassing. I hated talking about food or anything to do with that type of thing. So really just my immediate family knew, um, but I was really struggling one week during um, outpatient therapy and I actually approached our preacher um, just I went alone with him and I was kind of asking for uh, guidance and prayers and and encouragement. Um, Just, you know, seeing if he could offer me anything to assist um, this dark time. And he said, you don't really have that, the eating disorder or whatever you call it. You don't have that. So we don't have to talk about it. And I was like, he was like, you don't look sick to me. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, he said, you don't look sick. You you don't look too thin. Like, you're fine. You, you look Oh, well, I love it when <laughs> pastors act like they're a doctor. Like, Yes. Wow. Yeah, even though I legitimately told him, I just this week was told by my psychiatrist and like my mm-hmm. pediatrician that I am diagnosed with this. And he was like, no, no, you're fine. You just need to, you just need to eat something. You're fine. Um, mm. And don't, don't you don't need to really talk about this with other people in the church because you don't want them to think of you in a different way. And um, you don't want to make people worried kind of thing. So that was kind of the first strike, which I took the blame on myself. I was like, oh crap, I should not have said this. Like now I've made him think less of me and he's going to go tell other people. And I just, I was so embarrassed. So I just shut up about it and didn't tell anybody in my youth group until like years later uh, when I realized like, it's okay to talk about things that you struggle with. That's the point of this type of community. Um, But so that was one of my first negative experiences. I think that he really had some type of vendetta against people like me that were just a little bit off the wall. off the beaten path or something. Cause I was, I was very, uh, I hung out with like the emo kids and I had weird hair and I really loved tattoos when I was younger. I really wanted tattoos. Um, I listened to like that, that rock music, that devil music. I just, that whole, that whole <laughs> yes. really intrigued me. So, uh, I remember after I got my first tattoo when I was 18, um, I sat in the front row of church and I was just like, I was so excited and I was feeling good. 
and I was actually excited to come to church that day, and he proceeded to preach on why we should not have all these worldly things such as tattoos, piercings, hair color, because it makes us of the world and we are not of the world. Yeah. And all eyes I could just feel burning into the back of my head. So And you're like, and what about it, bitches? <laughs> like, and what about Yes. It? I wish I had had that confidence back then to be like, <laughs> if I'm going to hell, I'll see you there. I'll see you there, Mike. See you. So <laughs> Mike. Michael. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so preacher Mike, a big old fuck you. Because <laughs> uh, I'm doing just fine and I got plenty more tattoos and it look hot as hell and hell isn't real. So, mm, whatever. Yes. Whatever. Uh, so, yeah, there was just a lot of things that felt, I felt very singled out in a lot of ways because of that, because I didn't match the rest of the girls in the youth group that were like, pretty and preppy and like I don't hold anything against them like they're great people those were mm-hmm. great girls that they grew up with they yeah. just different things than me um and I just was unnecessarily different and I had a lot of issues you know like mental issues and an eating disorder that I was struggling with and there was no room for my grief like I couldn't sit at the table with them because I, there was no room for me and my problems in the church of Christ. And as much as they wanted to keep me as a member, I was just so different that I brought some type of shame to the congregation. And I really started to change myself when I realized the things that make me who I am, like the music that I like and the the culture that, I like and my friends and everything that needed to be put aside for the greater good. I really did put it all away and became the perfect Christian girl and eventually the perfect Christian wife. Um, and I ended up marrying a man that, or a boy, um, in the church of Christ and suffered at his hand, great abuse. And, um wow i'm sorry that's okay um i don't know if it's okay for me to say this i don't dress it up anymore because my therapist tells me not to mm-hmm. i don't call it sexual assault i call it what it is um yeah there was marital rape that transpired oh. yeah so um with all of that happening and trying so hard to keep him on the right path mm-hmm. and keep him from looking at porn and just looking at oh me, my gosh uh that- yeah, it was my job because I I asked for help from that church. I was like, please, somebody help me direct my husband in the ways that I need to. And it was just nothing I did worked. So, but they were like, you need to keep him. It, it was all on the woman, always. Mm-hmm. It was always yeah. the submissive wife and just like quietly lead him towards God. And you need to just keep your mouth shut about everything that's happening behind closed doors and just it's all about him and his salvation and his mm. journey and happiness and his dick yeah <laughs> i mean it was just it was infuriating because i tried so hard to be that good christian evangelical wife and like be mm-hmm. a great christian friend and daughter 
and all of these things um, that you're supposed to be, what is it, the Proverbs 31 woman or something? Um, I don't know if that's. I know what you mean. Yes. If, I don't know if it was, it is Proverbs. I'm not sure. Whatever. It, I know it, it like compares a woman to rubies or something like that. Yes. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. And how she like um, pretty much works her hands to the bone, gets up before her yeah. kids and her husband to do everything. Um, and I tried so hard to be that and it didn't work out. And I never got anything out of that marriage besides my beautiful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I'm no. grateful for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, like it's it's really sad because uh, even in some Christian circles, like marital rape is not even seen as a thing and people are gaslit. And even with gaslighting, like when your mental health, like that happens so much too with, oh no, you're not experiencing that or no, like that's not it. And it's just, there's so much um, ignorance around mental health and around these issues. And it's really scary um, how these people can view marital rape because to them, like the woman is property. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wouldn't really... say it outright, but it's definitely still the case. Yes, it is. It's property mm. and like the they're not even a counterpart to the man. Like yeah. equal, they're just mm-hmm. like this extra thing. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah. Um, marital rape is definitely not acknowledged in most circles. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritual or not actually just in this area of the country i'm yeah. in alabama for i don't know if if i said mm-hmm. that or if it was in my intro but um in alabama it's definitely not acknowledged by many people so um yeah i when i tried to tell people what was happening it was like no 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 shut your mouth yeah that it's called he owns your body he owns you and you owe him that you owe him your body so if he wants to have sex and you don't eh, sorry so yeah man i really hope my ex-husband listens to this what's up (laughs) (laughs) he gives off like tiny dick energy oh honey pinky (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've seen my dick. Like, <laughs> it's not the vibe for me. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and so, uh, as you're growing up in this church, or the red flags that stood out to you, and really what caused you to leave? Really, my my divorce was what caused me to leave. Um, cause like, like I said, there have been some like little inklings here and there of like being singled out in youth group and, uh, kind of watching some women, uh, that I looked up to be silenced on a lot of things, whether it was, uh, like their, their sexuality or their marriages, things like that. Um, those little breadcrumbs pretty much led me to, led me to uh deconstruct do, I, do what deconstruct or leave pretty much throw it pretty much throwing i so brad jerzek has like this phrase that he uses where it's like you could either your deconstruction is either the wedding dress with the stain that you meticulously and and carefully you you get the stain out and you try not to ruin the dress 
or you throw the dynamite in the building. I threw the dynamite in the fucking building and I let it all burn to nothing. I <laughs> love that. Yeah. <laughs> Which it, either way is not wrong to in your deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after my divorce, I was told I could not remarry and I still wanted to be a wife and I still wanted to have a meaningful like relationship possibly marriage again um I I wanted someone that I could have kids with and you know just foster that that life that I I always wanted um and I felt like this isn't fair to me this isn't fucking fair I did I held up my end of the bargain I did everything I was supposed to and I got my teeth kicked in you know and that just didn't seem right to me and I was like God, who the fuck are you to dictate this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with everyone telling me like, no, you can't date again. You can't get remarried. Like you're going to send that person to hell and yourself. Um, I was like, this doesn't make sense anymore. And the more that I started to um, back away from religion and then take another look into scripture, I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm we're not supposed to take this literally. This is not, this is not it. This is not what Jesus died for. This is some bullshit. So I ended up meeting um, a friend who is the other co-host for my podcast, the Messy Spirituality Podcast um, named Jason. And Jason ended up telling me a lot of things that he had learned historically about scripture that really opened my eyes to this is, this is all not real. And this is not the word of God. This is just a book documenting experiences yeah. mm-hmm. had yeah. with what they think may be God or their own mm-hmm. like spirituality, yes. their, like biases, their own lenses, which is what it's supposed to be. That's the most beautiful part of scripture mm-hmm. to me now is it's folklore. It's people. Yeah. It's mythology. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it's not, it's not real. Yeah, um, it's their own interpretation of what's happening in that. Of their day. experiences, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. credit where credit is due. The Bible has a lot of like literary elements that are amazing, mm-hmm. and yeah, a lot of stories that are just transcendent. But it's half of it is not real. Does anyone actually believe a snake fucking talked to Eve, <laughs> and then Adam was like, "You gave me that woman, and she did this. She she did it. It's not me. It's not me." yeah and like it's been interesting for me to study mythology and see how those stories have been repeated rehashed over and over and how they've made their ways into different um, religions and really like you were saying taking it from that metaphorical or figurative standpoint to interpret it and for me as I've you know studied and researched to me like a lot of these stories are from the unconscious, really, mm-hmm. um, from the mind, the Carl Jung called it the collective unconscious. Um, and you was the Carl Jung. I love Carl Jung. Yes, got a silver <laughs> there. But, I love um, it. Yes, but um, he that was his um, theory of like because he tried to explain how every single culture had the same stories, but were still separated from each other, but couldn't communicate. So he's like, how. Like this has to be inherent in their DNA or in their mind somewhere, these stories, these ideas and 
you know, what are they? Why are they there? What do they mean? Um, so he really digs a lot into mythology throughout different religions. And he tries to decipher the general um, meaning. So like for the creation myth of like the forbidden fruit and all that stuff, like when they realized or whatever that they were naked <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, like metaphorically, like it represents how um, man developed a higher consciousness and he realized the difference between good and evil because Young talks about how lower forms of life with their lower consciousness, they're not aware of morality or mm-hmm. good or evil or you're not even thinking about an afterlife. Um, yeah. A lot of animals do even know that like sex causes pregnancy like (laughs) they just don't know so because of that evolution of our minds and our awareness there was a great burden that came with that knowledge which is the knowledge of good and evil um basically so yeah it's about evolution of our consciousness which is really cool to me to think about like okay like we you know our realization of the world around us happened because of higher consciousness and that's metaphorically um what this means is like it was a really it made sense to me too I'm like that actually makes sense <laughs> yes no yeah I mean if you put it in a different context that actually makes it a little more applicable to us today to just yeah. understand mm-hmm. humanity's evolution mentally and physically it completely makes sense because just taking I don't know how I just took the story of Adam and Eve at face value I mean I was a kid I mean we, but, we were we were taught that to do it that but way these 56 year old people are like yeah there was adam and eve and they were naked and then they got embarrassed that they were naked and they had to put on loincloths but they made them out of leaves and then there was a okay. snake like what is this and you know it's really interesting because i remember as i've gotten older as i questioned that story i remember you know in the story in that myth when god curses um you know man curses the ground and says to the woman yeah. like you're gonna you know, it'll be painful to give birth. And I'm like, how could it not ever be painful to give birth? (laughs) I mean, you fucking, your pelvis breaks open half the time. Like your, your tissue tears in order to push out another human that's been growing in you for nine months. Yeah. I'll say it's gonna hurt unless you have some kind of disease where your nerves don't send a signal to your brain. (laughs) The fuck is this? Is that how they made sense of the hurt? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's really spirituality and those things is how people grapple with things they didn't understand. There's a spirituality like, oh, demons. I don't understand this. Demons. When a bad thing happens, they think it's either because I caused it or because something in the universe is happening to cause it. Yeah, or I'm being punished by God or something like that yes. shit. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, all these different things. Mm-hmm. It, it completely makes sense why there's mm-hmm. this type of midrash with mm-hmm. all these different stories so yeah because mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to think of like other stories that were very like enlightening to me and they were like really shocking about like different interpretations but I think too um right now I'm bringing this book called psychic energy the um its source and its transformation it's really interesting um <laughs> who wrote the book or wait let me grab it are we gonna plug it <laughs> this is speaking up with yeah. andrew ledger and lola <laughs> rock and our recommendation today <laughs> oh yeah so it's psychic energy it's source and it's transformation it's by m esther harding okay 
And it really, she's a Jungian psychologist and she really digs into Jung's work. And like, he wrote a foreword of this book, actually. Wow. Like th- This was published in the 60s. So he it was the early 60s. He was barely still alive. I think he died soon after yeah. this book was published. Um, but this book really digs into Jung's work and kind of brings a synthesis of everything of like basically explaining how these different religions and these gods and different things there are we are projecting things that are inside of us on the external um and so young he really digs into the story of job um that's one of his most well or most controversial books is answer to job which i really loved um and he really digs into it from a psychological um perspective and it's like to him he interprets it as a conflict with the ego and the self um, in this psyche and um, to young in these stories so like this god who is all powerful is everywhere all at once and is unknowable to him that's equivalent with the unconscious mm-hmm. um, because our unconscious we're not aware of anything in it <laughs> <laughs> at all period yeah. It's yeah. stuff we don't know. And like, it's interesting because Young, he compares, so he's like, you know, the unconscious is an infinite ocean and your consciousness is a quark in that infinite ocean. That's scary. Yeah, that is scary to think about. It's knowing and, and not knowing all at once. Yes, it is the paradox. Like, love yeah. that. And, you know, he was able, there are ways to get into your unconscious and get things out and simulate consciousness with unconsciousness because Jung called it individuation um, of having the synthesis of consciousness and unconsciousness and really that's what he saw in these religions and what in their stories was representing and what was going on and really like to him he he interprets the story of Jesus dying on the cross as like killing the ego and making mm-hmm. it one with the self, basically. Um, and so it's, just, it's so interesting the way, but he there's so much depth into it and how they dig through these different things and explain them on a psychological level and how they're in different cultures, different religions. Um, because really like understanding it from the perspective of personal growth, that's really what's going to help us taking it literally. Yeah. It will give you, it will give you the illusion of certainty. It will make you feel safe. At least think that you're safe or whatever. It will stop you from growing. Um, but to me, it's like, I'd rather grow and feel unsafe. Like, (laughs) yeah, grow uh, and, and still have questions and not know shit the day. I mean, Mm -hmm. The more you know, the less you know. Yeah, and it's true. true. These stories in the Bible are not one-dimensional. Um, it's so easy for us to read them black and white, thinking that they're one-dimensional, but it's more interesting to peel back all the layers of it. Yes. All mm-hmm. the underlying things mm-hmm. in these stories, um, mm-hmm. psychologically, uh, culturally. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the word for it. It's- philosophically maybe I don't know yeah yeah like everything it's Mm -hmm. and it's so much more interesting to view stories in that light too uh it it makes church boring to me now like yes with how I used to read it's like that how boring is that to read the same things over and over drawing the same 
Jesus mm. every time. Yes, it's called it's indoctrination. <laughs> really? Oh, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> <I> really? <twist. laughs> yes. Um, and so I'm curious to when you began deconstructing, what things really were big questions for you, or what did you really start to deconstruct? Um, really, scripture was the huge thing, and the idea of hell. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy knowing that hell is so fake and like figuring out everything that had to do with my salvation was literally just in the vein of don't go to hell and now that hell is out of the equation and Mm -hmm. fear is out of the equation I'm really free and so deconstructing that it was the hardest thing I ever had to do but that's really where I started was with the idea of hell and where it played a part in how I viewed God and how I viewed myself and spirituality altogether. So mm-hmm. that's really where I started with that. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, you know, religion makes a lot of claims that you can't prove or disprove. So for me, it's like me finding what can I actually like disprove. And like, I think scripture is the one for a lot of people. The inerrancy claim is very easy to disprove. Um, with empirical evidence is really funny actually it's easier I, than you think yes it's, um, mm, it's so easy I mean I used to listen to those like apologetics um, Christians and, and all of the yeah like pro- proclaims that they would make about scripture and I took them at their word but honestly with mm-hmm. some very minimal research you yeah. can find that a lot of things from scripture don't add up and no. if they we must all be on drugs. Um, (laughs) No. And like, here's another plug for another book, which is helpful for me to, and like, for me, when I do stuff like this, like I took this book and I also opened up my own Bible because I do realize that even these people who are critical, they have their own biases and they could take things out of context. So there's this one book is called all that, all that's wrong with the Bible contradictions, absurdities, and more it's by Jonah, David Connor. I, this book has been so helpful for me deconstructing that. And it was very easy <laughs> to do. And like, it's funny because I have a Bible that like has like so many highlights from like mistakes and like <laughs> things that contradict each other, things that don't add up historically or timeline wise or just a mm-hmm. bunch of things. Um, and really like, it's so interesting because part of my deconstruction was reading contradictions in the Bible every single day <laughs> to undo the indoctrination yes. um, and the emotional hold that it had through that um and so that was a big thing and then for me also was like mythology like how how original are these stories that that I've been told and Mm -hmm. to me like I still see the value in them do I view the bible as the word of God completely perfect absolute truth no but I do see this like cultural historical value in it that it can have Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to remember what else really I think yeah the idea of hell too um was another thing that you know I think I'm still struggling with that not as bad as I used to because there are some days I'm like what if those what you know and I that's one reason that I have just recently just recently been able to finally open a bible again it's been since 2019 yeah I've opened a bible because every time I tried to before that I would read it with the same eyes that the church of Christ gave me. And I would start to think, what if I'm wrong and they're right? Mm-hmm. And 
but at the end of the day, the um, if there is a hell, I know everyone that's going there with me, and I love it. I think it yes. would be a party. if hell is real, it uh-huh. will be the best goddamn party we've ever. <laughs> Honestly, yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because you experience that cognitive dissonance when you rationally don't believe in hell, but you still have that fear. And it's because you've had that indoctrination and it's really in your subconscious and in your unconscious and getting it out takes time and to deal with that. So another question is like, what important lessons did you learn in your journey in deconstructing and leaving? Yeah, um, what I learned, I learned through deconstruction that I can trust myself. I know that a lot of what I was told as a child is, you know, your human nature is sinful and these normal things and urges and desires that of the flesh (laughs) um, are bad, but actually they're so normal and they're so important and they're so good. Um, So really peeling back all of that um, psychologically and um, even just anatomically peeling it all back um I learned that I can trust my body and I can trust my mind that I have a a moral compass that is good and it has nothing to do with what the church of Christ gave me I've had it all along ever since I was a child and um I've also learned that no book is important enough to dictate my life or my journey Mm, I gave the bible so much power Um, I gave that doctrine so much power over my life and every major decision that I chose um, pretty much for the last 20 years of my life um, was really just um, steeped in indoctrination. But now Mm -hmm. I know that I I can dictate my own life and my own decisions and it's going to be okay Mm -hmm. and I'm going to choose the right thing in that moment mm-hmm. with the yeah. knowledge that I have. So, so yeah, those are some major things that I took from it. And, um, oh, I learned that sex is awesome. Oh yes. Love that. <laughs> I learned that sex is amazing. It's, um, ethereal and beautiful and, uh, sometimes grungy and raw, but it's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Unless it's with my ex-husband, Christopher, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not it. Um, but yeah, cause a lot of, um, things surrounding, uh, the idea of sex for me was like, this is a bad thing. Even when I first got married, I was like, am I sure I can do that? Is this normal? Um, can I, do I have permission? I don't know. Um, it still felt very taboo to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, but now understanding that, like learning your sexuality, exploring Mm -hmm. uh, those things about yourself are amazing and beautiful and uh, they're helpful in so many regards, um, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And that's really important. And I wish I had known that sooner for sure. And what advice do you have for people who are trapped in these toxic religious environments? What advice do I get the fuck out? <laughs> um, yes, love it. Out, run, 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 run for yourself, for your kids, for your animals, for everything. 
please get out. Um, and it's okay to question things. And it's okay if you decide to deconstruct, to be lonely and to lose that identity because that was such a big fear of mine for so long that kept me from fully deconstructing everything. Um, but it's okay if you feel like you're walking in a desert alone because you're going to come across people like Andrew and I that are gonna help you. We're gonna have water, it's gonna be okay. And we're gonna mm -hmm. walk with you the rest of the yeah. way. Yeah, the deconstruction community online is just so incredible. There's so many people you can meet and connect with. Seriously amazing. Like the, the amount of support that I have uh, drawn from online communities is unmatched by any support I've ever had in my life. The, the Church of Christ can never, they can never touch this. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Protection and advocacy, they couldn't ever touch it. And I've never been met with such love and acceptance immediately. Like immediately once mm -hmm. I left yeah. the prison of religion, it was, it was like a breath of fresh air because of all the people that embraced me. I lost my family. I lost my community, but I gained so much more from it. Mm, so, yes, I definitely yeah. relate to that. Mm -hmm. I know that yeah. that's a major thing with losing community. If you decide to start questioning things, you start losing friends when you start to unravel everything. Um, but really, it's okay to be lonely for a little bit because you're going to come into your community. You will find them. Um, you found them with me always. So just in case you're in need of a friend, mm -hmm. I'll do that for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Love that. Thank you, Lola, for coming on the show. This has been fun. Glad we got to do so this. Fun. Yes. Yes. Um, all right. Awesome. This was Speaking Up with Andrew Fletcher. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hello, everyone. Let's take a quick break. This is Andrew Fletcher, and I'm excited to announce that I am a religion recovery coach. My desire is to help people grapple with the effects of toxic religion. And my business is called Many Paths Religion Recovery Coaching. And the reason I called it this is because I don't think there is one path to healing or living a healthy life. And that is why when I work with clients, I help them develop a path or a way that fits their needs and their desires that will lead them to healing and a healthy life. I offer a free consultation and the link should be in the show notes. And I also have a sliding scale to help people with needs. Click on that free consultation and let's figure out if we can help you grapple uh, with the effects of toxic religion. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pludger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon and the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.